You are listening to True Insights, an educational podcast series for Australian health professionals brought to you by True Relationships and Reproductive Health, covering topics on reproductive health, sexual health and preventative health. True Insights aims to support clinicians in their ongoing care of their community. Before we start, we would like to acknowledge the First Nations people of Australia and pay our respects to Elders, both past, present and future. In this episode, we will explore congenital syphilis and the impact this can have on an infant. You will be given practical information on how to recognise increased risk for congenital syphilis and the signs and symptoms of infections, as well as covering treatment and prevention. Your hosts are Monica Vitale, nurse practitioner and nurse educator at True Relationships and Reproductive Health, and Dr. Claire Norse, a paediatric infectious diseases specialist from Queensland Children's Hospital. My name is Monica Vitale, and I'm a nurse practitioner and nurse educator specialising in sexual and reproductive health. I work as a nurse practitioner in Brisbane South and for True Relationships and Reproductive Health. Joining me in this discussion today is Dr. Claire Norse, a paediatric infectious diseases specialist from Queensland Children's Hospital. Hi everyone, and thanks Monica for the opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you, Claire. During today's podcast, we will be looking at congenital syphilis and how, as antenatal clinicians, we can identify increased risk for this as well as being able to recognise signs and symptoms and be aware of the unfortunate impact this can have on infants if not treated. With the current outbreak and increase in notifications of infectious syphilis in Queensland, our listeners may have some knowledge about syphilis. Claire, are you able to tell us what congenital syphilis is and how it is acquired or transmitted to the baby? Sure. Well, congenital syphilis is the term used when an infant is born with a syphilis infection that the infant has acquired from his or her mother during pregnancy. Syphilis can be contracted from an infected mother through the placenta at any time during pregnancy. Syphilis spirochetes circulate in the mother's bloodstream, traverse the fetal membranes, gain access to the amniotic fluid and result in fetal infection. Very rarely, syphilis can be acquired at the time of birth through contact with maternal syphilis lesions. It's more likely for syphilis to be passed from mother to infant if the mother has recent or primary syphilis. Primary syphilis is the first stage of syphilis, which normally appears during the first few weeks after acquisition. Secondary syphilis is the stage up to two years after first acquiring the infection. The more recent the infection, the greater the likelihood of transmission to the fetus. And studies have shown that most infants more than 50% and up to 100% will acquire syphilis from their mother in utero if the mother is in the primary or secondary phase of infection. That is, if it has been uh, less than two years since acquiring the infection. The risk of the mother passing syphilis to her infant decreases the longer the mother has had syphilis, and rates of transmission are low in the late, latent stages of infection. That's when the woman has had syphilis for more than two years. Syphilis is also more likely to be transmitted to the fetus if the mother acquires syphilis for the first time later in pregnancy rather than earlier in pregnancy. So, Claire, you're talking quite high percentages of infection rate between mother and her unborn child 
in early stages of syphilis. What are the implications of congenital syphilis on the baby? Well, the implications are, are very significant. When syphilis is acquired during pregnancy by the fetus, up to 40% of these pregnancies will result in spontaneous abortion, stillbirth, or perinatal death. Syphilis is actually the second most common infectious cause of stillbirth worldwide, second only to malaria. If the infant who acquires syphilis is born alive, 60% will be asymptomatic at birth, but most will develop symptoms in the neonatal period or by three months of age. The typical features of congenital syphilis in neonates or older infants include sepsis, pneumonia, thrombocytopenia, skin rashes, jaundice, heptospenomegaly, keratitis, lymphadenopathy, and sometimes, quite often, copious nasal secretions. Syphilis is known as the great mimicker because it can cause a wide variety of different symptoms and signs, similar to what happens in other conditions. What we need to remember, though, is that some infants don't develop clinical features of congenital syphilis until later in childhood, after they're two years of age. When this happens, the features they develop occur as a result of continuous inflammation of bone and tissues. Typical features include malformed, pegged teeth called Hutchinson teeth, interstitial keratitis, and eighth nerve deafness. This triad of features is called Hutchinson's triad. Other later features include frontal bossing, bowed shins, mulberry molars, and saddle nose. So we all need to remember that particularly at this time of increased syphilis notifications in pregnancy, doctors, midwives, and all healthcare workers need to be aware of the later manifestations of congenital syphilis that occur in older children so that they might be recognized and the child can then be treated to prevent further progression of disease. I didn't realize it was the second cause worldwide for stillbirth. Worldwide, yeah, including low-income wow. countries. It is. Malaria is the only one that's ahead of syphilis. Wow. Syphilis is very common in low-income countries. Yeah. I mean, I, that makes sense, but when you put it like that. So, Claire, with this in mind, for our listeners who are keen to gain an understanding around diagnosing, how would you recommend or how do you approach diagnosing congenital syphilis? Okay, I guess to start off with, all staff who will be caring for newborn infants need to be aware of the possible clinical features of congenital syphilis. And then if congenital syphilis is considered based on some clinical features, plus for every infant born to a mother who's had syphilis in pregnancy, a group of investigations is indicated. I find it helpful for me to think of five things that need to be done for every infant that is suspected of syphilis or is born to a mother who's had syphilis in pregnancy. And they are firstly, careful examination of the infant for any abnormal features, particularly the ones I mentioned before. Secondly, parallel serology testing of mother and infant serum. Thirdly, perform IgM for syphilis from infant serum. Fourthly, remember that the placenta needs to be sent for histological examination and for PCR testing. And lastly, and 
this, this is almost most important from the point of view of whether the infant needs to be treated or not. We need to thoroughly assess um, maternal syphilis treatment that may have occurred. And this assessment should look at four aspects of maternal therapy. Firstly, has her treatment been clearly documented? Secondly, was her treatment with a penicillin antibiotic and not with another antibiotic? Thirdly, was treatment completed more than four weeks before delivery? And fourthly, what, what has happened to the woman's syphilis teeters since she was treated? Is there evidence of a good response, i.e. have the teeters declined by at least fourfold? Or perhaps there might be evidence of maternal reinfection or relapse when teeters have increased since um, treatment. And if there are any doubts about the adequacy of maternal treatment, then the infant needs to be fully investigated and needs to be started on treatment. I think you could compile that into a checklist, which would be useful. Yes, yeah. Well, it's all, all of these details are available in the Queensland Syphilis and Pregnancy Guideline. They laid out in a list. So that's why it's really important to look at the guideline and, and follow that. That's a good reminder for, for our listeners out there. The Syphilis and Pregnancy Guidelines are a guideline that have been published by Queensland Health and are available um, for you in your workplaces, and we will have them available for you on the Ask webpage. Claire, you mentioned treating syphilis in a mother with penicillin. Is this also how you treat congenital syphilis? Yes, absolutely. Congenital syphilis can be fully treated and eradicated and relatively easily treated using penicillin. Before embarking on treatment, well, actually, often we would start treatment while we're doing a list of investigations, but there are a number of investigations that need to be performed for every child where we're embarking on treatment. And these are looking for the effects congenital syphilis may have had on the infant. And these investigations include a full blood count, liver function test, chest x-ray, long bone x-rays, um, cerebrospinal fluid, CSF analysis, neuroimaging, eye examination and hearing assessment. Um, treatment then consists of a 10-day course of IV or possibly IM, intramuscular penicillin. And the doses given depend on the age of the infant, whether they're given 12 hourly, 8 or 6 hourly. Uh, this is, can be quite complex, but the details are all contained in that same Queensland Syphilis and Pregnancy Guideline. I guess it's worth remembering that in some exceptional cases only, after discussion with a pediatric syphilis uh, or infection expert, it may be acceptable for some infants to give one dose of long-acting benzathine penicillin to the infant. This particularly applies to infants who are at low risk of having acquired syphilis, because if they're at high risk, you'd give them the 10 days of IV penicillin. But if the risk is low, but where follow-up serology is anticipated to be difficult to get, when one may elect to give a single IM dose of benzathine penicillin. I think that's a really good reminder, Claire, that if in doubt, we've got the guidelines there, but to also seek additional support, whether that be by a, a paediatric syphilis or infection expert, but also the Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service is also another port of, of contact. Absolutely, absolutely. So what happens if syphilis goes untreated during pregnancy with um, mother and infant? 
So I mentioned earlier about the effects of untreated congenital syphilis on the infant and on the older child. But it's important to remember that if a pregnant woman is not treated, then there are two related significant risks for her. Firstly, she may go on to develop features of secondary or tertiary syphilis. But more critically, syphilis could be passed on to the unborn baby in her future pregnancies. And that's why it's so important to test for syphilis at each time point in every pregnancy and ensure that timely, adequate treatment occurs. It's also worth remembering that treatment of a pregnant mother with penicillin is very safe for both the woman and her fetus. If a woman is allergic to penicillin, she can undergo desensitization and then be given penicillin, or in very exceptional cases, an alternative antibiotic. The earlier the woman is treated, the better the outcome for her and for the infant. It's essential to remember that women at higher risk of acquiring syphilis need to have more than one test for syphilis during pregnancy. Depending on their level of risk, they often require up to five tests during pregnancy, including testing at delivery. And it's also essential that their partners are regularly tested and treated, and that this is documented clearly. From what you've just explained, Claire, up to 60% of infants born with syphilis are asymptomatic. Syphilis can also be asymptomatic in adults as well. Would this help explain how a diagnosis can be missed? Yes, exactly, Monica. Infants can develop symptoms and life-threatening disease at home after discharge from hospital. And that's why it's so important to diagnose syphilis infection in women during pregnancy and ensure that they're adequately treated because their treatment treats the fetus also then it's important that the newborns are adequately assessed at birth and treated if there are any concerns at all. It's important to ensure adequate follow-up care for mother and baby is organized at discharge, which is essentially their serological follow-up after they're discharged. Based on notification data, do we know who is identified as at-risk populations for congenital syphilis within our communities? Yes, Yes, I mean, it's important to remember that all sexually active women are at potential risk of acquiring syphilis. But the highest risk has shown to be associated with the following women. Women who have had sexual contact with an infectious syphilis case. That one's fairly obvious. Women or partners who identify as Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander and reside in an outbreak declared area. Women with a history of substance use, particularly methamphetamine or ice. Women who have a male partner who has sex with other men. Women with late, limited or no antenatal care. And women who engage in high-risk sexual activity. Other women who are also at high risk, maybe not as high as the group before, but higher than average, are women or partners who identify as Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander but don't live in an outbreak area, all adolescents, women who have had a sexually transmitted infection in the last 12 months, and women with ongoing sexual links with people from high-prevalence countries. So there's a lot to look out for there. And again, as we mentioned earlier, this is all laid out in the Syphilis and Pregnancy Guidelines so that you don't have to remember it off the top of your head. It's in the guidelines for you. 
Claire, wouldn't it be great if we could avoid having to treat and witness the dreadful signs of symptoms of congenital syphilis? As clinicians, how can we support our patients in preventing congenital syphilis? So in a nutshell, congenital syphilis can be prevented by early identification and treatment of women with syphilis in pregnancy. After they treated, they need repeated testing and retreatment if necessary. And by being aware of the very helpful guidelines, such as the Queensland Syphilis and Pregnancy Guideline, and by following the recommendations carefully. Also remember that the Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service, QSSS, is an invaluable service you mentioned earlier that provides a secure, confidential, single statewide database established to improve the accuracy of syphilis reporting, to monitor trends in syphilis notifications, and to improve the management of individuals affected by syphilis. All laboratory-based positive syphilis test results for Queensland residents are reported to the QSSS. And providing the treating clinician with information about a client's history of syphilis infection assists with their diagnosis, management, education, and treatment of all people with syphilis. Claire, you've provided us with so much information, so much useful information. I guess if you could impart a a take-home message for our listeners out there, what would your take-home be for clinicians about congenital syphilis? Sure. Well, firstly... Congenital syphilis is entirely preventable and treatable. And in the antenatal period, think about syphilis and consider it in every woman who attends for antenatal care. Ensure that syphilis testing is done during the pregnancy according to the Queensland Syphilis and Pregnancy Guidelines, which can mean up to five tests during pregnancy. If there's any doubt about a a woman's risk, then it's safer to test regardless throughout pregnancy. If a woman is diagnosed with syphilis in pregnancy, ensure that she receives penicillin treatment at the proper intervals. It can be three doses of penicillin at weekly intervals, but they have to be exactly a week interval. When the infant is born, assess the infant as well as maternal treatment that might have occurred, assess it thoroughly, and treat the infant if there are any concerns. And then ensure that follow-up occurs post-discharge from hospital to ensure that serology has decreased and the treatment has been completely successful. Then with infants, congenital syphilis should also be considered as a diagnosis in any case of undifferentiated illness, regardless of negative antenatal screening or apparent low-risk profile of the mother. It's crucial that clinicians are aware of the updated recommendations for testing during pregnancy and the clinical features of congenital syphilis in young infants. And all of these are detailed in those Queensland guidelines. Claire, I want to say a big thank you for coming in and chatting with us today about congenital syphilis. And thank you to our listeners as well. If diagnosing and treating congenital syphilis is something you've not had much experience with, or would like to discuss this further with an expert in the field, then the Queensland Syphilis Surveillance Service is a statewide service that you can contact for support. For access to any resources or websites mentioned today, please head to the Ask course page, true.org.au slash ask. This podcast has been brought to you by True Relationships and Reproductive Health in collaboration with the Communicable Diseases Branch, Queensland Health. 
This episode is part of a greater educational package called Antenatal Sexual Health Kit, or ASK, funded by Queensland Health. ASK aims to provide up-to-date practical information, resources and tools to support antenatal clinicians complete sexual health assessments and contact tracing to optimise pregnancy outcomes, reduce fetal mortality and morbidity. To gain access to the complete educational package, register online today at www.true.org.au backslash ASK. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to True Insights wherever you get your podcasts. You can write to us at info at true.org.au and you can connect with us on our social media at True Clinics or at True Educate on Facebook or at True Org AU on Twitter and Instagram. True Relationships and Reproductive Health is a profit for purpose organisation specialising in community gynaecology, reproductive and sexual health clinical education and relationships and sexuality education. True would like to thank our clinicians and our expert panel of contributors that helped to make this show possible.